Hey everyone, welcome to Trippin' with Silver Daddy. And I am at Bill Bragg's Cape Florida State Park. Where am I? South of Miami. And I believe it's on, you know, Key Biscayne Island. At the very end of it is a big state park. And it has one of the older lighthouses on it. Which I just walked by, so if you hear me breathing heavily, it's because I just did my exercise for the week. I walked to the beach and back. Well, I actually walked to the lighthouse and back. But this is a really cool area, and I'm on a weekend, and it is crowded with people on the beach, in the picnic groves, having parties and cookouts. If you live in Florida and it's a weekend, you're probably... If you're going to be with a bunch of friends, you're going to be somewhere near the beach. And this is a great location. The state parks that are on the beaches are a wonderful place to have family outings, friends outings, group outings, work outings on weekends, whatever. It's a great place to go because you can grow out and party. And there's a party going on right behind me. And they have their island music playing. And they're just enjoying cooking out and then having a great time. One of the things about this area is Key Biscayne is a national park out in the water. And we're going to talk more about that later in the show. But it's a great area just to get away and see what Florida probably looked like hundreds of years ago. Because you have all kinds of native trees, especially the sea grapes. And the sea grapes are is one of the trees in Florida that you're really not allowed to cut down. They grow along the beach. And these trees are very important when it comes to hurricanes and helping prevent beach erosions. I'm going to have a great time here. We're going to enjoy it. But first, you are going to listen to one of my sponsors. And when I come back, I have more things to talk to you about. Here from Bill Bregg's Cape Florida State Park. I'll be right back, everyone. Catfish Dewey's is my favorite place to eat because they have all you can eat. Hey, they have more than that. They have a regular menu, but I like my food. And on Monday, Tuesday nights, they have all you can eat shrimp. On Wednesday, it's the barbecue baby back ribs. On Thursday and Sunday, it's that Alaska snow crab legs. On Friday, it's the fried scallops. And on Saturday, it's the fried oysters and crawfish. Hey, Catfish Dewey's has been around for 40 years because they know how to do it right. Big family environment and has a great little bar inside the place. Let me just tell you, you need to go to Catfish Dewey's. You know, they're conveniently located at 4003. North Andrews Avenue in Oakland Park, which is just north of downtown Fort Lauderdale. See you at Catfish Dewey's. Hey everyone, welcome back to Trippin' with Silver Daddy. And yes, I'm still here in the state park. It is really cool. And this lighthouse is incredible for many reasons. The Cape Florida Light 
officer, they call the lighthouses known as just the light, is a lighthouse on Cape Florida. So it's on the southern end of Key Biscayne in Miami-Dade County's Bill Briggs Cape Florida State Park. That's where I'm at. Did you know it's the oldest structure in Miami? The lighthouse is a time capsule, basically, containing so much history about Florida. It was first erected in... I don't like using that word. I have to change that. Because it kind of reminds me of something else. It was first built in 1825... And the Cape Florida Light has survived like 200, almost 200 years of erosions, dozens of hurricanes, and attack by the Native Seminole, Native Americans, and explosion. Yet through all the tribulations, she still stands. And from the top of the wraparound balcony supplies a legendary view over Key Biscayne. In the north, you can see the world's famous Miami beaches. To the east, you have the Atlantic Ocean, home to the dolphins, the stingrays, and the manatees. In the south, the floating homes of Stiltville. And we're going to talk about Stiltville later. That's a really cool thing are visible over the water. And to the west, adventures you can see into the area of Cape Florida and Key Biscayne. When the lighthouse was originally built, she guided sailors around the Florida Reef, helping them to avoid basically crashing into the reef. Today, she's renovated into what is a cultural landmark, and she's also been added to the National Register of Historical Places. As I said, the light was constructed back in 1825, and it guided all these sailors and people out at sea around the Florida Reef, because this reef starts near Key Biscayne and extends southward a few miles offshore. This is a huge reef area that we all love to go scuba diving and snorkeling over, but ships don't do well going over reefs. They kind of cut into the halls back then, and that's why there's a lot of shipwrecks in this area. And in two years, the light celebrates its 200th birthday. It was operated by staff with some interruptions until 1878. Because in 1878, it was replaced by the Foley Rock Lighthouse. The lighthouse was put back into use in 1978 by the U.S. Coast Guard to mark the Florida Channel, the deepest natural channel into Biscayne Bay. But then the Coast Guard's basically decommissioned it back in 1990. In 1996, the lighthouse was relit, meaning it is now operational again and operated by the Florida Department of Environmental Protection. 
Before the lighthouse was built, Cape Florida was one of the places where slaves and black Seminoles boarded ships for the Bahamas. This was known as the Saltwater Railroad, a migration that began when Spain transferred Florida's territories to the United States. Under the Spanish, many of the blacks, they were all free. But once U.S. started to take over Florida, and this was back in 1818, there was a lot of fear with the changes. Because Spanish Florida had been a slave refuge until President Andrew Jackson, a strong supporter of slavery, invaded in 1818. When the Americas took over Florida in 1819. And this takeover was created by the Adam Onis Treaty. You remember that treaty, right? History class is now in session. This treaty is considered John Quincy Adams' greatest historical achievement as Secretary of State. Basically, in a nutshell, what this treaty did, it did several things. But it's also known as the Transcontinental Treaty. The provisions of the treaty set up the new boundaries for the territories of the United States and New Spain. Spain seceded East Florida and West Florida to the United States. Spain dropped all its claims on the Oregon Territory, and the United States dropped our claims on Texas. The United States Territory spanned North America above the 42nd parallel. In a nutshell, it made the United States go from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean, and that's why it's called the Transcontinental Treaty. But this treaty prompted hundreds of blacks to begin migrating to the British-held Bahamas. This was the beginning of decade-long movement. Enslaved people in the South had limited options for escape. There was the northern states and the Underground Railroad, which my hometown of Cincinnati was the free spot in Ohio where the Underground Railroad went to. Or they went to British Canada. And the only other place they really could go to was the Bahamas. And that was 154 miles away was the nearest island. During the 1820s, an estimated 300 black Seminoles found passage from Key Biscayne to Andros Island in the Bahamas. And they went there by seagoing Canoes? Can you imagine going 154 miles across the Atlantic Ocean in a canoe? Or they were on these Bahama wreckers preparing to leave Cape Canaveral. When the construction began in 1825 on the lighthouse, it was on the Saltwater Railroad. And it really kind of hindered the Saltwater Railroad because of the bright lights of the lighthouse. When the lighthouse was helpful to the sailors offshore, but it wasn't really that helpful to those trying to escape at night. Although Cape Florida was less suitable as a departure point after the lighthouse was built, the Bahamas remained a haven for escaping slaves. But 
The lighthouse did provide a beacon of light for directional mapping. They were able to see the light and know which way to go at night. And they were able to get to the coast and find the awaiting boats to go to the Bahamas. The park carries a special significance as a designated National Underground Railroad Network to Freedom Sites. One of only two parks in Florida to hold this title. The other is Fort Jefferson in the Dry Tortugas. Hey everybody, when we come back from this break, you're going to be amazed of the personal story of Thompson and Carter and the light. We'll be right back. Cannibal 2023, A Whole New World, is October 26th to November 1st. There is so many things happening. You need to get to their website and make your reservations today before it is sold out. Go to cannonballbash.com. They have great events taking place this year. Once again, the foam party, the Sahara Gold Party. There's a spa excursion. Wow. The Jungle Queen, and there's also going to be flying carpet on the airboat tour. You know, and they have great food. The brunch with the queens. We have the Shamara dinner and the barbecue. Plus, there's the Mediterranean banquet and show. So much to do. Go to cannonballbash.com and check it out. Welcome back, everyone. Back to our story. And this is going to be about Thompson and Carter and the light. But also, you need to know a little bit more about some just general information. Like 1935, you remember that year, right? It was not a good year in South Florida. Because a major hurricane struck the island where the lighthouse was. And basically put it under about three feet of water and it damaged the lighthouse and the keeper's house where the person who ran the lighthouse was pretty much destroyed. So it wasn't a good year. And the guy who was actually the first keeper of the lighthouse was Captain John DuBose. So he was here at this time when the hurricane came in, flooded the whole island. But also during this year was the Second Seminole War. The Seminoles, the Native Americans in South Florida, they attacked the few European-American settlers in South Florida. And it actually started in January of 1936. And the Seminoles massacred the family of William Cooley. William Cooley had a plantation on the New River, and that's right where I live, here in Fort Lauderdale. On hearing of this massacre and the settlers on the mainland around the Miami River crossing, they started to cross over Biscayne Bay to the lighthouse. As the island was not considered safe, the settlers and John DuBose and his family, they all moved to Key West for refuge. In doing so, they kind of left the lighthouse in control of this John Thompson, who was second in charge. But before Thompson took over, the U.S. Navy came in from 
Key West. Key West was a big place for the Navy because it was the last island in the chain. And they brought some small work parties and they fortified the lighthouse. They kind of, they added some boarding to the windows and they added extra strong wood doors and everything. So they actually did a lot of work on the lighthouse, kind of making it more fortified in case there would be an invasion by the Seminoles. And they left the lighthouse and John Thompson was in charge and he was aided by Aaron Carter. And Aaron Carter was an African American. Came and did this in July and at the end of July, only like five or six days later after they left, a band of the Seminoles attacked the lighthouse. Thompson and Carter reached the lighthouse tower. Thompson later talked about feeling rifle balls go through his clothes and hats. The Seminoles actually got to the door just after he turned the key to lock it. Thompson exchanged gunfire from the upper windows to the Seminoles. So this went on all evening. And then at night, the Seminoles came back to the lighthouse and they actually started to burn the lower level doors and windows to get access into the lighthouse. Unfortunately, when they set fire to the doors and the boarded up windows at the ground level, so unfortunately, when they started this fire at the bottom of the lighthouse, at the doors and the windows, on the ground level was over 225 gallons of oil lamp for the light. And the oil caught fire. The fire took off, went up the walls of the tower. It caught Thompson's clothes on fire because they were soaked in the oil. And he and Carter, they had to go to the top tower and they took a keg of gunpowder, some balls, and a rifle with them. And the two men cut away a part of the wooden stairs below them in the tower before being driven to the top. They were going to try to prevent the Native Americans from being able to get up to the top of the tower where they were going to have to hide out. But the fire and the flame kept building because of all the oil. And the whole interior of the building was on fire now. And it spread up. And basically, Thompson and Carter was on the outside of the top tower just lying there as the Native Americans, the Seminoles, was shooting things at them. Thompson decided, well, if we're going to go down, he didn't want to die a slow process. So he took that keg of gunpowder and he threw it down the lighthouse knowing it would cause an explosion. And it did! A huge explosion! Blew up the whole top of the lighthouse! But they were outside of it, and they were saved. The Native Americans just assumed they were all dead, and they left. 
the next day, this explosion was so loud and so bright that there was actually some U.S. Navy schooners. And the schooner motto had heard the explosion and saw the light from the flames out of the top of the lighthouse. They actually came to the rescue of Thompson and Carter. But when they got there, there was no way to get them down from the top of the lighthouse because they actually, all the staircase and everything was burnt, so they were stuck up at the top. They finally got some ropes together, throw it up, hoisted a couple guys up to them, and they were able to rescue them. They took them to Key West first, and they said Thompson had three rifle balls in his foot, and after they were in Key West, they transferred them to Charleston, South Carolina. And the lighthouse went dark from 1836 to 1846. Now that is the true story on what happened to two people who was left to defend the lighthouse and to stay there. Some of our ancient history, not even ancient, some of our past history and the bravery of the men is amazing. And their personal stories can tell us a lot of things. Dedication. And this story reminds me so much of just the men and women in our military who are dedicated to service and protecting our country. Just like the men and women of all different militaries from different countries. Hey everyone, we're going to take a short break. When I come back, I have more to tell you. And we need to talk about the Stone Houses. They're simply amazing. I'll be right back. Did you know if you live within 20 miles of the ocean, there's salt in the air, known as saltpeter. And this stuff is corrosive. And it will destroy and damage your car. It can cause rust and more problems. That's why if you live anywhere in the Fort Lauderdale area, you need to be getting your car washed every week. I go to Majestic Car Wash. It's the only place I trust. My Blue Beauty, a.k.a. my car, goes there for its bath every week. This place is incredible. It has over 110 feet of washing through the tunnel. It's also family-owned, and they have a professional detail center. So if you have those ugly yellow headlights, they can take care of it. It's located at 2781 North Federal Highway near Wilton Manors. It's the only place Silver Daddy trusts to take his blue beauty. Check out Majestic Car Wash. You are back with me, Silver Daddy, and this is Trippin' with Silver Daddy. Have you ever heard of Stiltville? I never heard of it until I was here in the park, and I actually saw it, and it's quite amazing. Stiltville is a group of wooden stilt houses located about one mile off Cape Florida at the very end, and they're on these sandbanks, and these sandbanks are out in the water of Biscayne Bay. And this area is now is a part of the National Park. So the little history about this, most of these stilts 
and these houses started as early as in the 1930s. And they built these out on these sandbars, very shallow water. And they were building these houses out in the middle of the bay. And it became like a really popular place in the 40s and 50s, especially for the people who had money. Like Crawfish Eddie. Crawfish Eddie built a shack on stilts above the water in 1933. This was the end of the Prohibition era. Allegedly, the facility was for gambling and drinking because it was located one mile offshore, so therefore, gambling would be legal. Because there's this, like, law in the United States that you have to be at least one mile off the shore of U.S. to be able to gamble, and that's, like, how all cruise ships wait until they get a mile offshore from Fort Lauderdale or Miami, and then the casinos on the cruise ships all open. But it was pretty well known for his crawfish chowder. But there was a lot of these, a lot of these famous places. There was the Culvert Club. It was the first social club built in Stiltville. It was constructed in the late 1930s. And it really was for the Miami Beach Rod and Reel Club, the Fishermen. There was the Quarter Deck Club. So these were all like buildings, but they were all like private clubs that people would go to. And there was a lot of different ones. Some were like Party Central, Miami Springs Powerboat Club. There was the Bikini Club that got closed down. It was not built until a little bit later in the 1960s. It wasn't even on stilts. They brought a big boat, a big yacht, and they actually just marooned it and got it stuck in the flats and converted it into a club. And the reason it ended up getting called the Bikini Club because if women came there in the bikinis, they got to drink free. What actually ended up happening is they got raided by Florida Beverage Commission in the summer of 65, and they closed the place down because they didn't have a license to sell alcohol. There was so much going on. Stiltville became very popular, but towards the end, Hurricane Betsy in 1965 actually destroyed many of the camps. After that, in 1976, the state started renewing their leases because they had to have an annual lease on each of the buildings. And it was $300 annually, but it expired. All their leases were going to expire in 1999. And after it expired, all of Stiltville was supposed to be removed at the owner's expense. Stiltville just became like this popular cultural thing in South Florida. The deadline of the lease, kind of, they started to let it go a little bit further. But what ended up happening is this water all became part of the national park system. When it was originally started, Biscayne Bay was not a national park. They ended up in 2003, they started a nonprofit organization called the Stiltville Trust, and there were seven remaining houses. 
and it was actually this trust to protect these houses. It's a part of, like, U.S. history of South Florida. The National Park Service actually supports it now. You're not allowed to go to them and stay there. They're not, like, open to party. They're just kind of out there, open, as a part of history. They even did some hurricane-proofing on the buildings to prevent the last ones from ever getting taken down by a hurricane. But the park district basically says it's so inbreded in U.S. history that a lot of people actually just come to Biscayne Bay because they want to see Stiltville. You can go out there on tours and go around it. They do snorkeling around it. But you're not allowed to enter onto the buildings. Really cool place. Great for snorkeling. And I hear it's very good for fishing. That's why the fishing clubs were out there. If you're ever in South Florida and you want to go a cool place snorkeling, check out Stiltville. Hey everyone, I'll be right back. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to Trippin' with Silver Daddy. When Silver Daddy needs to go shopping, you know where you'll find me. I'll be at Leatherworks. Let me tell you, the reason I love this place is because it is the premier fetish and leather shop in the Southeast. Not just in my area, but in the entire Southeast. You know, they are inclusive of all sexuality, genders, and body types. So even me, Daddy Bear, I can find things at Leatherworks. Their quality of their leather products is incredible. You know, they make a lot of the stuff in shop. But they only use the highest quality leather. You can join the Lifestyle Club program. You know, it offers discounts on in-store products and classes. Yes, classes. They offer classes and they have quarterly parties for the community. If you need to get something, you can go to leatherworks.com and the works is W-E. RKS, go there and you can buy online. Sometimes we just don't realize how good we have it, especially where we live. I am so fortunate to be right here in this area. I mean, it's only about an hour drive to my house from my house to get down to Cape Florida, Bill Bragg State Park, or Biscayne National Park. You know, Biscayne National Park is an American national park, and our national parks are important because there's something very special about them. And Biscayne, special because 95% of the park is actually water. And then the shores of the park are these extensive mangrove forests. And mangrove forests are so important to keep beach erosion when hurricanes come. The park includes a lot of small little islands. It also includes Elliott Key, and that's the park's largest island, and the northernmost Florida Keys. And it was formed from fossilized coral reef. The islands further north in the park are transitional islands. Transitional islands mean it's a mixture of coral and sand. The offshore portion of the park includes the northernmost region of the Florida Reef. One of the largest reefs in the world. Actually, it's the fifth largest reef in the entire world. It runs over 360 miles long. 
that's about 580 kilometers. And it's located in Florida, and it's actually the only coral reef in the United States. And it starts in South Florida by Miami and runs all the way through the Florida Keys into the Gulf of Mexico. So this coral reef starts in the Atlantic and goes all the way over to the Gulf of Mexico. They say that the reef itself is estimated its worth is over $9 billion in the state economy. Our reef brings in tourists and people spending money equivalent to $9 billion per year just to do things by the reef. Fishing, snorkeling, diving, boating. That's how important the reef is. But unfortunately, this reef is disintegrating faster than scientists was expecting due to acidification, the amount of acid in the water, and also warmth of the water. This summer down in the northern part of the Keys, the water in the ocean actually hit 100 degrees. And then that kills the coral, and 25% of all the ocean life lives in the coral reefs. So it's very important for us in Florida to be watching our reefs, preventing any type of pollution in that area. As I always say, your coral reef is kind of like your blood supply and how the rest of everything in the world relies on the coral reefs and the water. Biscay National Park has like four different areas to it. You have the shoreline, which is the mangrove swamps, which I told you the importance of that. You have the shallow waters. You have the coral limestone keys. And then you have the offshore Florida reef. The shoreline... Swamps and mainland and the island mangroves, like right on the shore where the mangroves are, that provides a nursery for all this different type of larva, fish, mussels, crustaceans, all the small little baby fish. That's like the nursery where they all grow around these mangroves right on the border of these swamps. And then you have the shallow waters where there's a lot of different things. That's where the juvenile fish, they grow up, they start playing in that area, swimming and doing all that. And you'll get some larger fish in there. Predator fish looking for these smaller fish. In this area, you have a lot of seagrass. And seagrass is very important to the manatees. That's what the manatees eat. So this area has a big combination of juvenile fish, adult fish, seagrasses, sponges, soft corals. And then you have the keys, and the keys are covered with tropical vegetation. And they have a lot of endangered species, including different types of endangered cactus, palms, and then they also provide nesting for a lot of birds. You have the endangered sea turtles. You know, and there's over 200 species of fish out there. There's whales. You name it. It's all here in the Florida Keys in South Florida. We even have saltwater crocodiles. Did you know that? This area is very important to the ecosystem and to the people of the United States. It is a national park. At one time, they were going to try to make it a part of the Everglades National Park, but that didn't go through. 
And then what happened, you know, back in the 60s, they started building on the shores. I think there was a couple nuclear power plants and something else, and people then just started protesting against all this. The backlash against all this development of nuclear energy was really what designated and started the became National Monument, which later became the Biscayne National Park. I hope you enjoyed this. I have a great time whenever I'm down in this area. It is my sanctuary. It's where I go to feel better. Trust me, Silver Daddy didn't always have an easy life, and I still don't have an easy life. So this is one of the places I go to to regenerate, rejuvenate, and feel better. And I'm hoping that I shared some light on this part of Florida with you. Speaking of regenerating and recharging my batteries, my personal batteries, I am getting ready and wanting to go on a road trip that's about maybe three weeks long, going anywhere in the southeast to midwest of the United States. And if you have a bed and breakfast and would like to promote it and can put me up for a night or two, I would love to come interview you and talk to you. Please send me an email at trippinwithsilverdaddy at gmail.com. Remember, there's no G in tripping. Hey, remember always, love, peace, and respect. You've been listening to Trippin' with Silver Daddy. Bye!